Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the whole idea of God and the Trinity and dealing with it from the perspective of the cults. A couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, really, uh, we were dealing with how to recognize cult teaching. This week on the Let's Get Real podcast, what I'd like to do is I'd like to give you an overview of the Mormon Church. I'll explain more as we go. My name is Rob Lundberg, and you're listening to the Let's Get Real podcast. Thank you for uh, coming back to the Let's Get Real podcast this week. Um, you know, one of the issues that you often see, and you see their commercials and how well done that they are, and they talk about family and faith and all. And of course, you know, you got politicians out there that are embracing the theology of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a.k.a. the Mormons. Now, in our segment on the mathematical operations of how to recognize a cult, you would think that these guys and ladies coming around with the white shirts and the placards on their pockets and the nice, they're well-dressed, and whether they come in a car during the winter or they're on their bicycles or walking around your neighborhood, you would think that they are basically lamps from heaven, basically, and they just embrace a different... Uh, well, they, they just seem like they're a little different, you know, but the whole thing of it is they use a lot of Christian terms that are, have been corrupted since the 1800s in their church founded by Joseph Smith. Now, a lot of people think that Joseph Smith and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that Joseph Smith is a prophet, but he's far from that. So what I would like to do in this segment today is address this whole idea of the LDS Church. Now, what do we mean by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Well, uh, they are a uh, non-Christian cult, and they are uh, very nice people, but they are not historically true when it comes to Christians. And and if you are, are looking to be able to talk to these folks you got to know a little bit about them. So when I talk about witnessing, it's like trying to nail terminologies to a wall. It's like trying to nail jello to a wall. You know, it's very hard to get a foothold when you start talking to people in the Mormon church. But if you know what Mormonism teaches, then you're already well on your way. Now, some of the things that you may have heard about you know, them being polygamists and all of that. There's a lot of truth to that in their history. Joseph Smith had about 27 wives and 54 kids. Brigham Young roughly had that. And by the way, if you're a Mormon and you're listening to this episode, I want to thank you. And you might be asking, where do you get your authority to speak on such and criticize the LDS Church? I'll tell you where I get it. 
First off, I get it from the Gospel of John, where it says in John 1.12, For as many that have received him, to them he gave the right to be called children of God, even to those who believe in his name. That word right there means authority. It's the Greek word exousia. And then also, I get it from Brigham Young himself, in his discourse, where he says, take up the Bible, compare it with the religion of the Latter-day Saints, and see if it stands the test. So I want to let you know that over the years where I've been involved in the countercult apologetics movement, I have had Mormons tell me that I know more about Mormonism than the average person sitting in their pew. Now, that doesn't mean hooray me or anything like that. What that just basically says is that the Mormon church has a major problem just like the evangelical church. But the problem is LDS missionaries will brag that they baptize a Baptist church in a one Baptist church in one year, six months to a year. Because people do not understand that they are not a Christian church. Now, in order to to get this, in order to understand, there are two important things that we need to know before we start even talking to Mormons or evangelizing Mormons. First off, you need to understand their definitions to the same words that they use their definitions to the same biblical words that you and I use. And again, like I mentioned just a moment ago, the terminology, they use a lot of our terminology. Uh, you know, things like the Trinity, Jesus, salvation, heaven, and all. And the second thing you need to remember is that you need to be able to show them that they, what they believe is wrong and that they believe in the wrong Jesus. The Apostle Paul says that if anyone comes and preaches to you another gospel that we have not preached, well, if he says in Galatians 1.8, if we are an angel, come to you and preach a gospel contrary to that which has been preached to you. Count that person or that angel anathema. And then he repeats it in verse 9 of Galatians chapter 1. Now, you, it's okay to tell somebody if you know what you believe to be right according to what you believe to be biblical, it is perfectly fine to tell a Mormon that what they believe using our terminology is wrong. Okay? Now, this is very important because only the true Jesus gives eternal life. And he, the only true Jesus will reveal the Father. And only the true Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. For what we need to do is we need to understand terminologies and differences. And if I can remember to do this, I have a document that I'll create a PDF and I'll create a link so that you'll be able to go and pull the terminologies and differences so that you understand the differences that will delineate the difference between grace, faith, and other terminologies like God. Now when we talk about terminology, let's talk about terminology for just a moment. And I don't know how long I'm, I'm looking to go a half an hour on this program, so um, that's where I'm going to cut this off, but I'll, I'll follow up and finish and continue our dissection of, of, of this if we have to next week. Now, when a Mormon says he believes in the Trinity, he does not mean 
that it is the historical orthodox doctrine of the Trinity of one God which exists in three persons. And when I talk about that, I'm talking about three persons being fully God, fully man, not a God, but someone who is God in essence and nature, because the who is what? The who, Father, is what? God. The Son is who? Is what? God. And the who, being the Holy Spirit, is what? God. But the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. This is what the historical Christian church taught. I'm not going to use any words here, any fancy words, but just that's they are of same essence and nature, and all three of them are God. Now, one thing that we need to remember is that the correct doctrine of the Trinity is that there is only one God who has existed for eternity. And again, this God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they are not three separate gods, but one God. Okay? That being out of the way, when a Mormon says he believes in God, it reminds me of Inigo Montoya's uh, statement. You keep using that word, God. I don't think you know what it means. Okay? A lot of people will use the term God. New People who embrace a New Age ideology will say that they believe in God. I was talking to somebody the other day who was using the word God, and they were using it just like a Christian would until I started breaking it down. And I finally asked that person, do you believe that God is personal or impersonal? And they said impersonal. And right then and there, I knew that there was a problem. Well, in like manner, they will Mormons will tell you that God is personal. You know, they will say that they believe in that God, but it doesn't mean the same one true God that you and I believe in as biblical creator. You know, the creator of all things, the one who was always who has always existed before time. And what he means that what a Mormon means is that they believe in a God who used to be a man on another planet who followed the laws and ordinances of that God on that planet and then became an exalted to Godhood. It's the Lorenzo Snow couplet. As man now is, God once was. As God now is, man may become. That's what they believe. They hold fast to that. And to top it all off, this God also has a wife who is a goddess. Now, if you're in a conversational witnessing or a conversational evangelism situation with a Mormon, you might be using the same words, but you won't be speaking the same language. It is a very good idea, again, to take the, the terminology and differences that I give you at the, in the description block that I'll have uh, in this podcast. I, I will definitely do that for you. Um, download that, and you will be able to pull that up so that you'll be able to understand the differences between them. Now, everybody has a testimony. You and I have a testimony, and I've done a show uh, on testimony, whether or not our testimony is credible. And, and this is why I say that we have to be careful with our testimonies, because the LDS claim that they have a testimony. And their testimony they believe to be true. We believe our testimony to be true, but our, our testimony is based on objective truth, 
of a God, the God of the Bible through Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, convicted us of sin and drew us to faith in Christ, and we placed our faith and trust in Him. Now, everybody's story is different, but the difference with the testimony with a Mormon is that they will tell you that they will bear their testimony to you and tell, me, tell you how they know the Mormon church is the true church and that Joseph Smith was the true prophet. Now, there are two major approaches that you can take to this. Um, ask them where their testimony is. They will say, in my heart. Uh, you say, did you know the Bible says that not to trust your heart because it says that you're deceitfully wicked above all things? Jeremiah 29. And the heart is deceitful, wicked above all things and, and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I'm sorry, not Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah 17, 9. And then the second thing you can bring in here is that you can ask them how they got their testimony. And they will say, by the Holy Spirit. Well, you can ask them this question. Who bears witness of the truth? And they will tell you that the Holy Spirit does. And what you need to do is you need to correct them gently by showing him that the Holy Spirit bears witness of Jesus and that Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. And once you've shown them that the Holy Spirit is sent from Jesus, ask them if a false Jesus will send the true Spirit of God. And answer, of course, to that is no, right? The point is here that only the true Jesus of the Bible will send the Holy Spirit. If they don't have the right Jesus, then they can't have the right Holy Spirit, and their testimony, therefore, is invalid. Now, they'll also tell you, well, you know, I prayed about the Book of Mormon. You know, the Mormons believe that if you read the Book of Mormon and then pray and ask God whether or not it is true, you receive the testimony from the Holy Spirit verifying truth. If it is true, then Joseph Smith is true, and so is Mormonism. But many Mormons claim to have this testimony. First off, do you have to pray about truth? The answer to that question is no. Okay? God never says pray about truth. He says search the scripture to find truth in Acts 17 11 and 2 Timothy 3.16. So what the Holy, what, what Mormonism is doing is essentially unbiblical. Okay? The second thing is it doesn't matter whether you feel something is true because feelings are very real but they are not a good test for truth. And if what you feel is contradictory to the Bible then what you have or what you feel is wrong. And then there's a third thing here that I want to bring in, and that is what we want to do is we want to ask them if they ever had to pray about the Bible to see if it was true. And of course they haven't. So why are they supposed to pray about the Book of Mormon? See what happened was Joseph Smith had a vision he had a vision saying that he was to believe none of the creeds of Christendom, that they're all an abomination in God's sight, and that the angel, Moroni, who was essentially a demon, uh, said that he would show him what would be true, and of course go dig in the hill Cumorne, and up come the plates and all this other stuff. So the common view 
to support their belief that you can pray about the Book of Mormon is found in James 1.5. And James 1.5, for many of us are very familiar with it, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask of God who gives generously to all without failing fault, and it will be given to him. Now, they say that because since they believe they're sincere, God will answer them. Well, folks, sincerity is not a uh, validation for a religion to be true. You can be sincerely an atheist or sincerely a Muslim, and your religion or your ideology or your worldview is dead false. That's right, I said it. Okay? So sincerity doesn't mean that much. Second thing is that the verse is about wisdom. Okay? Not about praying to see if the Book of Mormon is true. In James 1, 1, it says, James, a servant of God the Lord, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. So the book of James was written to those who were believers and already had the truth. And that is why James calls them brothers in verse 2. There's a third thing that we want to talk about here, and that is, Wisdom is the proper use of knowledge and not the acquisition of knowledge. Okay? It is the proper use of knowledge and a proper way of walking in the knowledge of the truth, not an acquiring of knowledge. So you acquire true spiritual knowledge from the Bible, not your heart. You don't pray about the Book of Mormon. You pray about the truth you've learned from the Bible and ask God to teach you more and how to apply that word appropriately. Okay, so what is the gospel? You know, um, that, that's, a, that's a good question to ask the Mormons. You know, what is the gospel? They might say something like this, the gospel is the laws and the ordinance that of the Mormon church. And you can ask them again what it is and listen closely for a hint about the free forgiveness of sins through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And you will he usually hear an answer dealing with works, dealing with obedience, or just doing something. After the person has answered, explain that according to the Bible, the gospel is what saves us, what cleanses us from our sins and, and enables us to stand in the presence of God the Father. Explain that the Bible defines the gospel, that the gospel is what makes you a Christian and ask them again, what is the gospel? After you've heard a works-type righteousness answer, turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 4 and read this. Now, brothers, I want to remind you that the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, by the gospel you were, are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And explain to them that the gospel 
is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for your sins and my sins. And then turn them real quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, and, and read again, even if our gospel is veiled and is veiled to those who are perishing, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And then what you might want to tell them is this, you clearly do not understand the gospel message. It's kind of like Inigo Montoya going and saying, you keep using that word gospel. I really don't think you know what it means. Okay? You, you clearly do not understand the gospel message of Jesus, the Savior, and the Bible clearly shows you why. It is because your mind has been blinded. Now, there's something here that the LDS, before I even get into a little bit of what they teach, that, that you will hear. And that is that there was an apostasy. What do you mean by apostasy? We've got a lot of apostasy today in the church. People in the New Apostolic Reformation and, and the word faith theology. Uh, you've got progressive Christianity, which I think is indicative of the apostasy. What is the apostasy? What did the Mormons mean by apostasy? Well, Mormonism maintains the true message of God, they say, was lost from the earth shortly after the apostles died. No, it did not. The Mormon church, the Mormon apostle uh, by the name of Orson Pratt, he said the following, he said, Jesus established his kingdom on earth, the kingdoms of this world made war against the kingdom of God established 18 centuries ago. They prevailed against it and the kingdom ceased to exist. Where did he say that, Rob? I'm glad you asked. He said that in Journal of Discourses, volume 13, and page 125. But see, Jesus said this. He says, I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, the profession that Peter made, that Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the rock that Jesus is talking about, this profession of faith, that Christ is the rock, the foundation of the church. And he said this, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, if the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the Christian church, the gospel did not disappear in an apostasy. And as you can see, Mormonism contradicts what Jesus says there. And that is why they must say that the Bible is not trustworthy and that it is the Word of God insofar it is translated correctly. You'll read that in the appendix or in the preface to the, the, um, um, the, the uh, Book of Mormon, okay? So make sure, make sure that you remember this. Now, they also have the authority of the priesthood. Some Mormons say that... Um, the restoration of the gospel is also claims to have the authority to perform priestly duties and therefore properly represent God on earth here. All offices of the Mormon church grow out of the priesthood. And here's where we start getting into church structure with the Mormons. And that is this. They have what is called the Melchizedek priesthood. And this is the greater priesthood. It consists of several offices of elder, 
uh, 70, high priest, patriarch, evangelist, and apostle. Then you have the Aaronic priesthood, which is rather ironic, um, which is part of the greater Melchizedek priesthood. And then they have what is called deacon, teacher, priest, bishop, and they also have the Levitical called the lesser priesthood and performs the administrating of the ordinances like of the Lord's Supper and all the other stuff. Quite simply, the Bible totally contradicts what Mormons believe concerning the priesthood. Jesus is the only high priest out of the order of Melchizedek. It is all over the, the book of Hebrews, the letter to the, the Hebrew Christians. And it says that in, in 724 that he holds this priesthood permanently, meaning that the Mormons cannot have that priesthood. And Jesus who went before us, he entered on behalf, he has become our high priest forever according to Melchizedek, that's Hebrews 620. And also, he, the writer says, and what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of the regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of the indestructible life. That's seven verses, chapter 7 of Hebrews 7, verses 15 and 16. And as I mentioned before, uh, Hebrews 7.24 says, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent, untransferable priesthood out of the order of Melchizedek. So, what do they believe about God? Let's start there. You know, they say that they believe that there's one God, but and, and that that God be, was a man, and that... Um, he was a man who lived in obedience and then he, he basically became a god. Okay, And this is part of what they call the um, the, ascent, the not ascension but the the glorification is what I was looking for. But guess what? There are more than one god. There are gods in Mormonism and this is what we call polytheism. They, they are polytheistic. One of the truly dividing lines between Christianity and Mormonism, in fact, is their doctrine of the plurality of gods. Mormonism teaches that there are many gods, according to Mormon Doctrine by Bruce McConkie, Teachings, pages 348 to 349. In their desire for legitimacy, they will even quote 1 Corinthians 8 verse 5 to say that the Bible also teaches many gods. What does 1 Corinthians 8 5 say? It says this, for even if there are so-called gods, wherever, whether in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Now they will say, see, even the Bible says there are many gods, which you and I can respond back to them and basically say, oh, you know, if it says that there are many called so-called gods, it doesn't really mean that they are truly gods. It is saying that they are only called gods. The scriptures only recognize them to be false gods, as in Galatians 4 verse 8. 
Besides, the Bible flatly denies the existence of other gods. For example, Isaiah 43.10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. Before me no god was formed, neither will be the one after me. Um, in 44.6 and verse 8 of Isaiah, this is what the Lord says, I am the first and the last. Apart from me there is no god. Is there any god besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know of not one. And that is the, the fact that God is speaking through Isaiah. Say, I don't know of any other gods. So, you know, what are you talking about? Right? And then it says in Isaiah 45, 5, I am the Lord, there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. And lastly, folks, there are a buku list of errors in the Book of Mormon. There was a video that came out a while back and if you want to look at some good responses, look at um, the testimony from Lynn Wilder. And I, I hesitate to point this to you, but I'm going to put a link on this description as well from a movie that I will not mention. <laughs> that is actually, basically, it's taboo by the LDS church. But they believe that people are saved by grace after all you can do. That's in 2 Nephi 25-23, and it says, no, it's by, by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest anyone should vote. Um, how, Moroni, how could Moroni read uh, Hebrews 13, 8, and James 1, 7, when the New Testament was never reached, that never reached America. And that's Mormon uh, 9 and verse 9. And Hellaman 12, 25 to 26, right, 6 BC, says that we read, quoting 2 Thessalonians 1, 9, and John 5, 29, 90 years too early. Wow. And Jesus is a son of God in Alma 36, 17. So if Jesus is a son of God, that means that there are other sons of God, and that's not you and I. In fact, Jesus is the only son of God. And he was not brought about by sexual relations between a resurrected God and the Virgin Mary. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He took on flesh never declined his deity, never sacrificed his deity. He was fully God and fully man. So what the Mormons teach is heresy. And then in Mosiah 21:28 says the King Mosiah had a gift from God, but the original Book of Mormon manuscript reads the King Benjamin. So there's been changes in the Book of Mormon. Again, if you're a, if you're a Mormon and you're listening, I would love for you to respond to me at Rob Lundberg 315 and tell me where I am wrong. You see, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, not Jerusalem. There is no archaeological evidence for Jesus being born in, in Jerusalem, as it says in Alma 7, verses 9 and 10. He was born in Bethlehem. We read it in Micah 5, chapter 1, and, ver and uh, chapter 5, and Micah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and Matthew 2, verse 1, we see its fulfillment. 
So basically, folks, what you have here is a lot of issues with the LDS Church. And we're going to talk about more next week. I've gotten through what I have gotten through, but we're going to get into a little bit more brass tacks with regards to why the LDS Church is a cult. We talked about the mathematical operations, but we're going to get into the brass tacks so that you'll be able to be equipped. I will put the terminology and differences in the descriptor so that you have them and you'll be able to go and look at them and be able to go and create a create create yourself a notebook. Okay? Create yourself a notebook with regards to the um, terminology, the difference, and anything that we provide for you so that way you can work on your portfolio and also do your own research. I hope this podcast helps you. I hope this podcast equips you to be able to go and give a reason for the hope that you have with gentleness and respect. And we're talking about cults, and we're talking about the Mormon church. So until next week, this is Rob Lundberg from the Let's Get Real podcast. As you go out this week, as you go and engage others in the secular city, make sure you scale the secular city to the glory of Jesus Christ. And as you do, go out and give them heaven. And we'll be back with you next week. Lord bless.